you know, they're really beautiful and they're sexy and everything, but they're there at their own terms and they're very empowered. You know, they don't need to overpower anybody else. They're just empowered. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that really did go together for sure. Uh, and also just knowing your own anatomy and like the way that, you know, your own physicality when you do, you know, you lift weights or you do any kind of movement, you understand from the inside out how your body works. So, of course, that's going to give you more of a sense of reality when you're, when you're portraying in art and drawing yeah. and painting. Yeah, yeah. So. How far did you go with the bodybuilding? Um, I was a, um, in national competitions. And I um, did place in uh, USA something or other. I can't remember what it's called exactly now. But, but yeah, I was like a national level competitor. Yeah. And um, I was competing for about five years. And I, um, I mean, I never got into steroids, so I didn't get into the really professional levels of, right. you know, that kind of thing. But um, I... Uh, I I'm so glad it. now. <laughs> you didn't yeah, do that. I am. I'm glad I didn't. And um, there were a lot of people that were actually pushing me to do that at the time, and I'm glad I didn't do that. Yeah. Um, but I did hurt myself plenty anyway, because you really kind of wreck up your joints, and you know, it's it's its own brand of, um, you know, obsessive kind of thing to be involved in. At any, if you're at any level of competing. You've got a, a bit of an obsession thing going on because you can't really go that far without getting obsessed with that. Yeah. You know? So um, I, I tried to keep it healthy, but at the same time, like I'm saying, I, I think you know, just the lifting. I got carried away many times. With I got I was learning when I first started learning about doing bodybuilding. It was at a gym that was a powerlifting gym, which is different from bodybuilding. Powerlifting is all about how much weight you can lift. Yeah. And um, I was, I did, I was in a powerlifting contest one time, bench pressing 210 pounds. <laughs> wow. I did that, yes, one one lift of 210. But anyway. That's um, like a overweight, slight, well, a pretty overweight man size. <laughs> it's not <laughs> <it's that> heavy. <laughs> um, but I, uh, so anyway, with kind of like growing up with these power lifters like that, um, you know, got me into feeling like more about heavy weights than about safe exercises. And so oh, okay. I really did kind of, you know, just made my knees and shoulders and stuff a little bit, you know, not so great. Yeah. But at this point, I'm being very careful in how I do things, and I'm, I'm doing great with it. I'm still uh, lifting, and I'm still doing all my exercises, but it's more in the direction of yoga and um, very lightweight and that kind of thing at this point. So. Right. Okay. So it's something to be careful with, you know, bodybuilding. If, if you're competing, you know, anytime you're in, in, a, in a competitive way like that, you really are risking hurting yourself if you're not really watching what's going on. Yeah. Um, I worked with a guy who was into bodybuilding um, years ago. And I've come across a few other people who've been into it, and they all seem to be really nice. Is, have you know? Is that a thing? I had a great time in that field. I really never ran into. Well, I guess there was a few jerks in there, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But really, um, all the people I ever can think of in the bodybuilding world that I knew were really, really nice. For sure. Yeah. 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 Had um, Arnie Arnold Schwarzenegger? Had he finished by the time you were doing it, or was he? Around in that world. Um, no, he well, he was 
And he wasn't competing then. I'm sure he wasn't competing at that time, but he was, he had this contest called the Arnold Classic. I don't know if they're still doing that. Um, he started that during that time and, um, it was a professional contest. Um, you know, he was very involved in the bodybuilding world at that time. Okay. But, um, yeah, I'm sure he wasn't still competing at that time. Like the mid 80s. Yeah, yeah, 85. Okay. I don't think he is anymore. I don't really know. Could easily look up Lindsay's last competition, but I'm pretty sure it was before that. Okay. Um, all right. Um, Marta Witt in Spain says, John, tell Julie that she is my hero and a great inspiration oh. since the very <laughs> beginning of my journey. Oh. Uh, I'd like to ask, and she's talking to you now, when you started to achieve successes in your artistic career, have you ever felt like an imposter? Um, I just got into my first group shows in galleries, and oh boy, imposter syndrome is so real. How to deal with it, it uh, so it doesn't stop you? It's just a it's a life thing, like we were talking about before. Um, you know, I, I don't know anybody who doesn't have that. I don't know one single... Well, maybe, I don't know. They won't admit to it, the one that I'm thinking of. <laughs> but I, I kind of suspect that every single being, every single human being is going to have some of that. Um, so um, it's just something to learn to just live with it. You've got to live with that those kind of doubts about yourself. You've got to learn how to just, like, accept them as one of the voices in your head that just doesn't stop. It's not ever going to stop. And it's probably a good thing because... It keeps you from, you don't want to get, you know, lazy and sit back and feel like you've got all the answers or uh, you don't need to try anymore or anything like that. So you got to think of it as like, okay, that voice that scares me to death and keeps me awake at night, you know, that's my friend and she really likes me. <laughs> She's just trying to help. <laughs> She's Very just good. a real pain in the butt, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think it was Jennifer Balkan I was saying this to, and I hadn't really thought about it, um, but I'll I'll add it if it's of any help, um, Marta. Um, as I say, I hadn't really thought about this until we were talking about it, and I realized that I I um, I fully uh, accept like the whole imposter thing. I kind of go, I don't even get into a fight with myself. I don't get into the conversation of I'm not an imposter. I just go, yeah, I am. But I'm getting away with it. Everybody exactly. seems to, everyone seems to think, it, you know, I'm the real deal. I know I'm an imposter, no question, so that's fine. So I'm just going to be like an undercover imposter, and I'm just going to ride <laughs> this wave until everyone realizes what I'm really like. But until then, fine. I don't, even, I, I don't, perfect. I don't think yeah. about it too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect solution. <laughs> well, it seems like most of the anguish comes into that conversation of, no, I'm not an imposter, and then other voices go, yes, you are. You're a fake. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And like, I'm not a, I don't really have that so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of go, you're an yeah. imposter. I go, yep, okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but let's keep, get, let's keep getting away with it <laughs> for yeah. as long as we can. <laughs> you know, I think it's helpful when you hear that everybody's got it, you know, um, when you hear about, like, famous actors that we've known in our whole lives and they get stage fright and all that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think it's, I think it's part of what makes a person good, though, you know. It's really something to appreciate as one of the ingredients. I think if you didn't have it, it would be like somebody who can't feel pain. That's a pretty dangerous thing, you know. Yeah. 
Um, so you need to be a little bit insecure, at least, um, to have that eye of the tiger, you know, Rocky and all that. <laughs> you got to have it. <laughs> Very good. Um, Laura Stepping in San Francisco says, I'm curious what your dreams are like and if you have an interest in shamanism. Well, I would say I definitely have an interest in shamanism. I wouldn't say that I have an interest that goes so far that I've investigated it to, um, you know, talk to anybody about it in a direct way or really study it myself that much. Um, I I love the natural world, and um, I feel like everything is pretty mystical and mysterious and... Uh, there's a lot going on that we don't understand at all. Um, that's how I feel. And so I feel like we're all our own shaman to me. I mean, I know somebody who's a, probably a real shaman or something. That's why I say, like, she doesn't know anything she's talking what about. an imposter. Because she says, that. yeah, you're an imposter. <laughs> but, I mean, to me, just going out and having this, really spiritual connection that I feel with nature, even just to step outside of my house. I don't have to go off deep into the woods or anything to get this. I just look up at the sky, you know, look down at the ground, you know, um, one little thing out there, um, just even inside, you know, anything. It just the idea that we exist at all and the things that you can experience, um, to me, it's just like impossible and magic. And so... Um, I'm just getting into territory here of conversation that I don't know. I don't have words for really, but I, um, I just feel like this is all like how I relate to the world is like we're all in this magic thing, and I don't understand it, and I'm not going to even try to explain it or understand it. I'm just going to be in it, you know. I'm just in it, and I. That's how I experience shamanism, is that I feel like I let it experience me, kind of. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yeah. And. Um, and as far as my dreams go, um, you know, I think it's hard to say if my dreams are really, um, you know, I, I dream a lot. Um, I don't really talk about my dreams a lot to other people. My sister told me a funny dream that she had, though. Can I tell you that one? Yeah. It's really quick. She dreamed that she had a goldfish in her hand that was wearing a Christmas sweater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so cool. So that's as far as I'm going to talk about my dreams. <laughs> I'll talk about my sister's, sister's dreams. dreams. Okay. She'll be on the podcast next week. <laughs> tell, you, tell us all about your dreams. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's lovely what you're saying about shamanism. I think there's something really authentic about that. It's a real thing. Oh, thank and, you. And, and what you were saying about the gazebo mind mm -hmm. or whatever. This gazebo yeah. Brain. That, that's very yeah, shamanistic, I think. I'm, yeah. yeah. See, that's how I experience it. That's what I feel. Yeah. That, and I, I think that if I was an actual shaman, that's what I'd be doing, you know? I don't know. I have not met one, so I don't know this for a fact. And I'm sure they know all kinds of really awesome things about plants and, um, you know, whatever. But I just feel like that's that's where their mind would be, you know? Yeah. They know a lot of cool Things, you know, tools they would have is what I want to say, but uh, and rituals and things that I don't do. But I think that the mindset with nature would be very similar, is the way I imagine it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Have you read any um, Carlos Castaneda's books? 
Um, no, I have not. Yeah, I think you might like them. I think what's yeah. the one I liked? I think it's called the Eagle's Feathers or something. Okay. Yeah, it's a kind of a mixture of uh, Toltec shamanism and and hmm. uh, and and it's a sort of a sort of a fantastical story, but it's described it's 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 presented as real, and maybe it is. I don't know. Oh, but it's, yeah, but it's nice, you know. It's nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's cool. Like, that yeah. sounds fine. Uh, speaking of books, Ben Flay in the UK says, Hi Julie, uh, will you be making any more books? And then Carlos on Instagram says, Do you plan on releasing soon a new book with your work, maybe a sketchbook? Great work, Julie. Um, I am definitely, like I said, I'm working on this children's book, which uh, I'm getting close to finishing the artwork for it. And I've already written the story. And so that'll be interesting because it's a story I wrote. And, um, you know, some of the pictures are things that, that people have seen before, but not in this context. And there's um, new art in there as well. But it's a pretty different kind of story. Just very different as a children's story. It's not really just a typical children's story. It's more of my art as a children's story. Yeah. Um, is, it, so is, it a, is it a wordy kind of children's book, or is it minimal no, words, lots of pictures? it's minimal words. It's like you could probably read it in about 10, 15 minutes. Okay. So it's not the tiniest bit of words. Like some picture books have hardly any words. It has yeah. more words than that, but it's not like a really, it's not like a novel or something like that. And how physically, like, is, will it be a small little kind of ladybird size or a big, or do you know about It's going to be, I think it's going to be in the area of um, eight and a half by 11 size, actually. Okay. So not real, so it's kind of a medium sized picture book. Yeah. Right. Kind of average size picture book. Which when, it, when the publisher mentioned that size to me, I thought it sounds small. But when I went and looked at the picture books that I liked, they were about the same size. So yeah. I was happy about that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really, really excited about it. And I have the, the the publisher. It was just a weird fluke how it happened that they approached me. Um, they were there. It's a new publisher, and they're they were looking for um, a children's book that was that was different, like something kind of avant-garde, like the ones from the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And so when I told, when the guy said this, and the thing is that I had actually been thinking of taking these paintings that I had done and bringing them together into a story just previous to this, and mm. because a friend of mine had suggested that I do that, and um, so I was, I was kind of blown away by the, the, uh, you know, coincidence of the whole thing. The synchronicity of it all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just crazy. Uh, so anyway. It's just going to be, it's really, uh, that got me, him coming into that made me sit down and actually do the work of writing it, which I was terrified to do, and um, it's really a challenge for me, but now I, I'm really, really happy with the story, and I had a professional editor, you know, clean it up for me a little bit, and that kind of thing, and so um, now it's just being put together, and in a few last-minute art pieces created for it as well as the cover I haven't done the cover yet so that's going to be neat will it be um, hardcover or it's going to be hardcover yeah ah nice yeah with a wrap around with a I mean a um, a dust jacket yes you know so I'm excited about that it's going to be and the dust jacket I'm thinking it'll be neat because I want to make it where the dust jacket you can take it in it'll be like a poster you know because it'll open it up it's going to be so pretty I'm really excited about it Um, but yeah I also do want to do um, just a book that's more like a, um, oh gosh, what do you call it? And it's just like a collection of your work, you know, that um, Boris and I haven't done one together in quite a while. 
so we could probably do a new one. Uh, but I, I also would like to do one that's just of my own, um, you know, and especially with my animals and things. I haven't really ever done a book with the animals before. Mm. So, but I'm not sure I want to separate the subjects. I kind of like it better if it's just my art, and then it has maybe the subjects are separated within the book, but they're not like separate books, maybe, you know. So. Yeah, 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 like chapters or sections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, because yeah, I think they go together. I think the way that I do the animal paintings goes with my fantasy paintings. I, I feel like they come from the same world, so yeah. I think it would be nice as a book. Yeah. Have you done, I couldn't see any now in your previous work, but have you done any, like, um, the sort of science fiction-y science fiction, you know, spaceships, outer space, that kind of thing? Or is it always Not too much terrestrial? Not a lot of straight lines in there. Yeah, all those straight lines, they just, oh, it doesn't, you know, so, um, yeah, spaceships have a lot of uh, things like that. So I um, haven't, but it's just not my, it's not my, where I, my mind goes. Yeah, yeah. Science fiction that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Clive, uh, sorry, Colin Clive Jackson in Scotland says, are you and Boris uh, doing any joint projects these days? Um, we are doing several, we get commissions from time to time where the people ask for us to paint it together. And so we have quite a few private commissions right now from people who want paintings that are kind of like fantasy portraits. Yeah. And they want those done by the two of us together. And um, How does that work? Do you do a bit, hand the painting over, and then Boris yeah, a bit and mm-hmm. hand it back? It's different. Yeah, it's different with different ones. Like, um, you know, there might be one where he's got a, like, he right away sees how it should be, and he'll come up with a sketch or something, and sometimes it's the other way around. You know, it's like I'll be more informed about what's going to be happening there. I'll make a sketch, and then... You know, so we we um, we've worked on the times that we've collaborated in the past for, like, especially when it comes to advertising work, because with advertising work, it's always rush rush. You know, they always want everything really fast with those advertising commissions, and they're usually really large scale projects too that have a lot of things to paint. And so we will; those are kind of different because um, a lot of times with those, we'll have. You know, one person paints the background separate. So the background is separate. And then the main figure is painted separately. And the secondary, you know, the figures can be painted separately or, you know, depending on what's up with the painting. Sometimes these things are painted separately and then we put them together digitally to make it pretty ad. So that that way they have the flexibility of the format being either, you know, vertical or horizontal. It could be for a billboard or it could be for a poster. You know, so um, that gives them that flexibility. But um, anyway, it also makes it where we can paint faster because we are painting with oil paint and it takes a long time to do that as compared to the digital painting that, you know, still digital work does take time. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't just happen instantly, but it, it's, you know, doesn't have the drying time in between and you can use your layers, you know, faster and that kind of thing. So um, anyway, when we're, when we're working on projects together, Sometimes we have it in these separate layers that way, and sometimes we just pass it back and forth, like you said. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
Um, Bobby Vargas in Lake Tahoe says, I'd love to hear anything about that heavy metal shark cover. Well, there is a story to that. So, um, so when I was first learning how to paint, um, there was, um, at the time that I decided that I wanted to do that, I don't remember exactly what got the initial idea started, but, um, but anyway, there was a model who came, her name is Stacy Walker, and she's a very well-known fantasy model, and she came to pose for Boris, and I had her pose for me, and she was really very sweet and did that, and um, so anyway, I had her pose with this idea of her sitting on, I didn't know what the shark was going to look like at the time, so I just had her um, pose as if she was riding on a shark, like if it was a motorcycle. And then, um, oh, I know what it was. In fact, she was working for um, a um, record company, ABC, ABC, I think, in New York City or something. I can't remember. But anyway, she was working for a record company. And at the time, she just was like an office person there or something. And she told me that this band that's name was Great White, I don't know if you've heard of Great White, that they were yeah. looking for an album cover. Um, and so, anyway, um, so she said, you should do something that they might like. And so I, th- I was like, well, let's do this. this if she's riding on a shark, it's like a motorcycle. And then uh, as it came along, it, it became like a chrome shark. And then I was trying to figure out how to paint the chrome shark to make it look like chrome. And so I did this one to begin with that was just really wrong. I just didn't understand Chrome at all. It was really bad. And I think I might still have the original, <laughs> my first attempt at painting Chrome, which really, really wasn't that bad. But, you know, compared to what it came out like later, it wasn't that good. So, um, and then uh, I thought, I need to get actual reference for something like this. And so I had my son, Anthony, go with me out to the mall. He was a little kid at the time. And we went to the mall, and they had these silver trash cans, those chrome-looking silver trash cans. It was like a bullet shape, you know? Yeah. And so we just had one of those, and I laid it down on its side and had him sit on it and took a picture of him sitting on it. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the model for the chrome shark, really, was that trash can. Uh, but then Great White didn't use my cover. They had something else anyway, so whatever. <laughs> and, and, and then heavy metal just saw it, or and liked yeah, it. Yeah, no. So then what happened is that I um, then I did that painting, and I did two others with the metal theme going on in them, and I took them um, to heavy metal to meet with the lady that was the art director at the time, and uh, showed them to her, and she said, "Yep, we would love to have these as covers." So she bought three pieces right there on the spot. And wow. um, I mean, not the paintings themselves, but the, you know, the usage for the covers. Yes. So, um, yeah. And so that was how that started. That was really exciting. Yeah. Great. Uh, Alan Reed says, what do you think is the future of fantasy illustration painting? It was always great art to me, even on album covers and magazines. Do you think people appreciate it more now? Oh, I definitely do think so. I think that, um, first of all, the people who, you know, were younger when this was more taking off are now in, they're older and they're in positions of, 
you know, executives or business people or whatever that can commission this kind of art. They're making movies that are with this kind of stuff. And with the whole digital thing happening, the movies became a lot more exciting. <clears throat> and, you know, then you've got the whole game industry happening, which is even way bigger than the movie industry, which I did not know that until recently. But, <laughs> like, my God, it's like, yeah. way, way. So um, I think that, and there's young people that are playing these games, and there's a lot of fantasy in that. So as the future goes on, these young people grow up. They become older people. They become more in power of the money and the money situation so that then they're like, yeah, I want that stuff I liked when I was a kid. So I think that the cycle is going to be going strong for quite a long time with fantasy art. That's the future I see. Very good. <laughs> Marta Witt in Spain again says, what would you tell to younger Julie just at the beginning of her artistic path? Hmm. Um, just do everything you're doing exactly like you're doing it. Because <laughs> stay scared. <laughs> I don't know. You know, people always talk about that. Like, what would you tell yourself when you were younger? I guess the only thing I would do would be to comfort myself and say, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. Because really and truly, if you changed anything that you did in your past, you know, you can't go back. It's like that, you know, in Back to the Future. You cannot go back and change anything because you'll mess it all up, right? So we can't do that. So uh, going back to my younger self, if I was, if I had, let's say, if I had a daughter who was just like me and she was that really young age, I'm talking before professional age, I would say just keep doing your art and really, you know, do take it seriously because I didn't start taking my art seriously until I was about 30 years old, really. Right. I mean, I was studying art before that and I was doing art I always thought of myself as an artist but I never really understood how I could become a professional artist and um, so I didn't really uh, I just didn't see a path that I could take that would make me feel confident enough to take it that seriously you know yeah yeah so that's what I would say to that younger person there are many many paths out there and not just one that you see right now, because there's going to be whole new ones down down the road that you don't even know about right now. Yeah, very good. Oh, and make sure to look at look at your feet <laughs> yeah, when you're walking definitely. down the path. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, Gravity still exists all the time. <laughs> yeah, so, and so do tree roots. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, Husnain Ali, I hope I got that right. Some practical advice for youngsters who are just starting out and developing career as professional artists. Uh, you are a great artist and inspiration. Well, thank you. Um, well, uh, I think, you know, everything we've been talking about is really, the whole thing is just, you know, there's so much uncertainty, and being an artist is is a very, um, you know, there's, it's not like there's a right and a wrong way to do it, or, you know, it's not like you get a degree and now you get a job. It's not like that kind of a thing at all. It's a very uncertain path, and if you can be comfortable with that and learn, like what I would, I used to say, like with my kids, I was like, they're learning how to surf, you know, they're not 
learning, they're not having a path that is like, this is your career and boom, you're done. And now you're going to have this one thing, do that one thing. No, you're learning how to surf. So your career has got all this flexibility to it. And it's a really good thing. It, it might seem less secure, but I think it's a very secure path because you are learning like to adapt and to be very adaptable. And I think, um, Artists in general are very sensitive people and um, can be sometimes, <clears throat> you know, like afraid of uh, showing themselves or afraid they're not good enough, all these things that we've been talking about. But we all have that. And the thing that is just like the more you can strengthen your own self and your own feelings about yourself um, while you're at the same time practicing your art, um, because a lot of art is about confidence. I would say, I think a huge number, a huge percentage of what art is about is confidence. And so developing your confidence in all the parts of yourself is very, very important. And with your art and your skills, you've also got to be confident enough to look for all your flaws and not just look for approval and people to tell you how good it is, because that's a really terrible mistake to make. So, um, uh, and as far as, like, young artists that are, like, looking for jobs and that kind of thing, that's a whole different conversation. And I really don't have as much to say about that because I came into this a long time ago and I developed a reputation over a number of years and I've been adapting all along the way. And the only thing I can tell you is that the path continuously changes and it's I doubt that it'll ever be different in that way. I think it's going to always be a changing um, path for artists. But if you just keep developing your skills, working on your own confidence in yourself so that you can, you can express your voice and, you know, more and more over the years, express your voice with your skills that you're learning along the way. Um, I think that, to me, that's where you will find your you're more successful with that. Very good. Um, Solomon Uray, Ure, sorry, Solomon, in Colombia says, Hi, Julie. Uh, it will be a great pleasure to hear from you. Um, I fell in love with your artwork at first sight three years ago. I often wonder if there is any possibility of being your student in the coming months. That would be my greatest achievement and joy. Regards. Um, not in the coming months, definitely. I am not doing any online teaching, um, but I do, I was teaching, there's a group called the Illustration Masterclass, which I don't know, have you ever spoken with anyone else from the Illustration Masterclass, John? I don't think so. Okay. Well, um, it was a, it is still a fantastic group, um, that was started by, uh, Rebecca Laville. Oh, yeah. I've heard Rebecca on the okay. podcast. Yeah. Yes. And she is one of my dearest friends, and she and this group of friends that we are all in are the roots of the Illustration Masterclass. And we were teaching there once a year. Yeah, it was like a week-long workshop. What were you going to say? Is that part of the smart school thing? Okay, yeah. Smart school is part of the Illustration Masterclass. So that's yeah. what okay, I was going to say. Okay, now I'm with you. So now, now it's, you, yeah. yeah, it's kind of branched off into smart school now, which is online. And that's become its own thing. And I, I have been asked to participate in that. 
And she's told me that she's open to having me there at any time I want to, but right now I'm just not doing that. I've got a lot of things I'm doing, and I just haven't um, gotten to do that yet because I'm just not there yet right now with myself. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah. So smart school, uh, I'm not doing it, but other people are that are amazing, and I highly recommend them. I haven't seen one single bad Anything out of that? Yeah, it's just amazing. Well, I think it's, it's Anthony. One of your sons is involved in that as well, isn't it? Da- David is David. Um, actually. Yeah, he's going to be teaching. I think this next coming, and he, David Palumbo. Yes, he's really, really very cool. And he's such. A, he's not only such a great artist, but he's such a good communicator and teacher. Very, very, very compassionate, sweet person, and um, knows how to communicate so well. You know, just really is good at that. And um, also, my daughter-in-law, Winona Nelson, is also teaching there. Um, so, yeah, she's fantastic, and people love her. So, um, yep. So, yeah, Smart School is, is, I would say, the way to go if you're looking for a really good um, teaching program for art, because it's really direct. It's, one, it's, it's not just, like, something you watch and then you go off and do it by yourself. It's very hands-on. Yeah, Christ. Um, Lisa Rickard in Florida says, um, I, <laughs> well, she's got a little pink heart emoji, which I'm guessing is, I love you, right? Let's just say, oh. let's just say that. <laughs> I love you and your art. And, and then some sparkles emoji. Uh, I can't wait to listen. Uh, some more sparkles. Do you have any stories you can share about your experience as a juror, juror for the 15th Arc Salon? Also, what criteria slash characteristics did artwork have that you liked that helped move it forward in the competition? Yeah, it was, you know, being a, being a juror for any kind of competition is difficult for me because I've been on the other side of many competitions, bodybuilding and art, and uh, I understand how much I put on myself into that, you know, being a competitor. Um, and so, uh, when you're looking at, you know, in the Art Renewal Center, oh my God, there's so much good art there, and there's so many pieces to look at, and you're like, you know, you have to really focus, you have to take it a little at a time, take it in little bites, because there's so many things, um, and you have to constantly think, okay, do I like this, or am I projecting that I think the other jurors are going to like this? Or, you know, you have to really be thinking, what do I like? What do I like? And coming back to that. Um, so I would do that. And I I would say that I was personally not only looking for technical skill, I was looking for the whole deal because there's so much good art there that it went beyond just, like, a really nice rendering of, you know, a person or something. It was more about, like, because there's so many, you know, like, like there's so much good art, and maybe one was rendered really, really well, but it wasn't as interesting in terms of the whole thing, you know. Something didn't have, like, as I'm thinking of the entire piece of art is the art. It's not just the figure. It's, like, the whole thing. So there might be sometimes pieces where you just see a really nice face and then the background is just nothing at all, which can work really well, but in some cases it might not. And um, some things that were just too many things going on and so I would lose, it would lose my attention a little bit because it was just too much and 
the scattered focus. So there's just certain things that I personally would look for where, you know, you'd feel like the focus was very intentional and understood. And um, it's great also if there is something that they're saying with it that's like a feeling or a message. It doesn't have to be a story, but um, it doesn't have to be a message either. But, you know, they're saying something with it. Yeah. Um, rather than, I mean, I think it is awesome when people can just paint something that is just a beautiful subject. But if it is a beautiful subject and it has uh, something to it that's also a bit of a story, even if it's just a little or tiny thing, it really throws it into a whole different category. Yeah. So um, I would say, you know, having just the tiniest bit of narrative is a good thing. Um, even if the narrative is just the light coming in or, you know, something like that. It doesn't have to be an actual story happening. Yeah, yeah. You know? But just, you know, for people that are competing and things like that, to really understand that there there are thousands and thousands of things there, and they, you know, the jurors are humans, and so it's like, you know, you're trying to compare one piece of art to another, which is also just so tricky, like, you know, to say, this is gorgeous, and that's gorgeous, but they're entirely different, and I have to pick one, you know? That's yeah. just really hard. Yeah. Not, what you mean. not not a comfortable thing to do for me anyway. Some people might like to be a judge, but I have a hard time with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, if there was one underlying theme to all your work, what do you think it would be? Uh, I guess emotion. You know, if I just had to think of like a one... I, I want a, connect, a connection. Let's say that more. Connection. Because even emotion, what's that about? That's about connection to me. You know, it's like um, the underlying theme to my work is connection. Connecting us all. I, I want everybody to understand that we all have so much about ourselves that it's the same as each other, you know? And so many feelings that we share that are just the same. And um, I think you know, that, that's the main thing for me, is like for people to feel like they're not that separate from everything else. Lovely. Thank you. Um, AJ Williams in Canada says, have you and Barth considered selling the pre pre preliminary sketches uh, you do for paintings? There's a market for even the rough drawings, so I was wondering if you've thought about selling those. Thanks. Um, yeah, we have, we have thought about it. We have some and we have sold a few here and there, but it's like another thing to organize and, you know, find because <laughs> they're kind of all over the place. <laughs> yeah. They're probably in that filing cabinet you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Very wrong. <laughs> Great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Paul Berryman again in the UK says, does the need to sell work ever wash back up into your ideas selection so that you stay in safe waters commercially or are you happy to let the idea lead the process? Oh, well, I definitely have to make a living and so, but I, um, I feel like, you know, I don't think, I think it would be wonderful to just not ever, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't be, what do you think, if you have so much money that you never have to care about money again, I think it might actually hurt an artist. Right? I think it's kind of good to 
um, have a reason to be pushing yourself a little bit because it's so easy to get lazy. Um, but at the same time, it's a juggling act. Uh, and I think it's great to be making your money, doing your art, and then do other pieces that you can really truly feel it just for yourself. And the way that I do those pieces is I have a space on my wall upstairs that I intentionally don't have anything hanging there. And I like to pretend that I'm making a painting to hang in that space. And it's on my own wall. And that way uh, I can feel like this is not, I don't have to put this out to the world. And then usually what happens is after I do it, I'd still want to put it out to the world anyway. But it's one way, it's really difficult to really say I'm doing this just for myself. Because it's hard to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I think it depends on the artist, you know, to have the mm-hmm. thing you were saying about unlimited supply of money. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, th- I used to think, like, wouldn't it be great if, like, let's say some huge rich person came and said, I'm just going to support you from now on. You just have to make art and whatever. And I'm thinking, like, well, now I'd be owned by that person. I don't know if that's such a good thing. Mm-hmm. And... uh and then I would be like, how, what would really give me the drive to really push my own boundaries and, you know, push my own limits and that kind of thing? And, um, you know, I would have, I would have curiosity on my side because I am very curious. And I, but you need to have something that pushes you. I think it doesn't have to be money, but um, you definitely need something, something that keeps you a little bit hungry for proving yourself in some way to yourself at least or pushing something, you know, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, constraints are the beginning of conflict, which is as the beginning of, like, yeah. I don't mean conflict like a fight, but an internal no, kind of dynamic tension that propels you forward. I um, mean, what movie do we watch that has none of that, you know? Yeah. What's going to be the most boring movie if there's no conflict at all? You're going to be like, the conflict is I want to get out of this theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's why, that's why most stories end with, they lived happily ever after because living happily ever after is not that interesting to watch. Exactly. <laughs> That's good. That but um, I, I sp- I've spoken to an artist who had that exact thing you were talking about, um, David Hummer, who's now the um, director of the Wausau Museum. Um, mm. He um, used to live in Las Vegas and he had a patron who pretty much said that. Um, I will just buy everything that you paint and draw. And at the time, David was doing these fantastic, pretty big uh, drawings of homeless people and paintings. And this guy, I think, this patron, I think, possibly had a lot of money and had a lot of guilt. So he would buy these paintings of homeless people and he would just put them in a storage container. And after 10 years... David just couldn't do it anymore. It was just like, mm. yeah, you know, I mean, it was like living every artist's dream. I've got, I'm getting plenty of money. <clears throat> I have a lovely studio. Everything's great. <laughs> you know, no money worries. But my soul is eroding here with this. Yeah. Which, particularly because no one's ever seen this stuff except this guy. And he just puts it in a shipping container, you know. So he right. walked away from it. That's interesting. I, I, I'm glad to hear that story because I always mm. wondered, you know, I mean, I think everybody thinks, oh, it would be so great, you know, mm. win the lottery and get all this money or something. And it's like, I don't know, really. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like the thing of, you know, with that, there's no there's no exciting finish in a football mm-hmm. match or an event if there's no 
limit, you know. There's no, there's, there's yeah. no final whistle. There's no last-minute goal, you know. It's kind of like that, you know. Well, doesn't it make you feel happy about people to think of the stories? Because um, it's like there's more to us than just wanting money. Isn't that great? Yeah. I mean, there's a series on YouTube. It's very good to watch it. And it's all these really famous people talking about how fame and success didn't make them happy. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, there's a famous Jim Carrey quote before. He, you know, he says, I wish everybody got everything they ever wanted, and then they'd realize it doesn't make you happy. Ah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, Adam Romano in Arizona says, uh, "Do you have many different galleries that re- represent your work, or just one, or none at all? Your work is great. Thank you, Julie." Um, I primarily work with Ray's Gallery in New York City, and um, I. Have worked with. I do work with um, on a limited basis with a couple of other galleries, but I and I was working with a gallery in uh, Arizona, in Scottsdale Legacy Gallery, but I'm not going to be having so many things there anymore. I have um, really just shifted to not doing as much with galleries as I was. I I used to think that I wanted to have lots and lots of galleries, but um, I'm not sure that that's really the best way to go. So. Um, my, the gallery that I, when I work with the gallery, it's really mostly at Ray's Gallery. There's also a gallery in Los Angeles called Simard Bilodeau that I'm um, oh, yeah. connecting with and doing some things with them. Yeah. And so um, they're really great. And then uh, out, you know, where, you know, Peter Adams of the California Art Club? You know him? No. And his wife has a gallery called American Legacy Fine Arts, and I've got a few things there. Okay. So, um, yeah, not not really as spread out as I was, and I'm happier for that. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Paul Berryman again in the UK says, says, how do you think galleries look at fantasy art from a cold approach? Wait, say that again? Um, how do you think galleries look at fantasy art from a cold approach? A cold approach? Yeah. I wasn't like really sure what he meant. Well, I thought you might know. Like, okay, maybe he means just like how does they think of fantasy art in terms of like just yes or no. I guess that's what he means. Like cold yes or I don't know. Yeah, well, it's either that or to just cold call a gallery with your fantasy oh, art. Oh, cold call a gallery maybe. with your fantasy I'm art. I'm not sure, yeah. I see. Um, well, I mean, I think a gallery has to see what you do for sure whether it's fantasy or whatever. Um, I do think there's more galleries that are showing fantasy art. Definitely. Absolutely. Mm. That's a fact. And I get, I do get contacted by galleries sometimes uh, wanting to show my fantasy things. They want that more than the other things that I do. So, um, yeah, I would say galleries are interested in it because people are buying it. So yeah. that's a good, a good reason for them to be into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, from everything I've read and heard people say, there's, you know, two schools have thought about whether to just drop into a gallery with your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Some galleries say they hate that, and then others, mm-hmm. other artists say they just did that and it all worked out great. So, unfortunately, it's a, it's a hit or miss thing. I, I know one time a gallery owner advised me to do that. He said, 
put a piece of art in front of you and walk in holding it this way, <laughs> and then they have to see it. It's kind of mean. But, you know, I can see that it, if, if it makes somebody mad, it's going to make them mad, and that's it. But at the same time, if they see your art and they love it, they aren't going to say, go away just because you irritated me. They're yeah, yeah. going to say, oh, huh, let me see that, you know. Yeah. Um, what sort of price are your paintings selling for at the moment? Price range? Um, well, I'd say they go from anywhere from a few thousand, like a couple thousand dollars to um, the most that I have sold one for right now is um, $40,000 or something like okay. that. All right. And that, are you selling anything through Instagram or yeah. is it all through as well? Okay. Yeah, Instagram and, you know, I mean, mostly not, I mean, I'll get a few things, a few letters through Instagram. I don't really get, I don't think I get a lot of people buying things because they saw it on Instagram, to tell you the truth. I, I don't understand how things happen. Let's put it that way. I don't know how it happens. <laughs> it's a mystery to me, too. So they see my work somewhere. Maybe it is Instagram. And then they send me emails and they contact me that way. I do have a website. I have JulieBell.com and then I'm also in a website with Boris at BorisJulie.com. And they see my work uh, somewhere, and then they get into my website, and they write to me from there. Okay. That's generally what happens. Oh, okay. Nice, yeah. And those prices, they're all kind of gallery prices. Like, if you go through a gallery, then you, you only get half. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, the thing is that I, my, prices, I have, my prices on my website are the same as my gallery prices. Yeah. Because that's the only way to do things. You don't yeah. ever, don't do that. Just you have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you mess okay. up the whole time-space continuum if you change that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Rob Herzl in Ohio says, What art do you collect or own? I always love hearing what art inspirational artists collect. Also, what pieces that you've done have you kept for, your, have you kept for yourself, and what do they mean to you? Um, the art that... Boris and I collect on our own is mostly actually sculptures. We don't really collect that many paintings. Our walls are mostly taken up with our paintings and those of our children. And so, um, you know, we don't have that much of those. We have the sculptures that we have are um, bronzes that are, um, I don't know the artist's names even really, but they're just really beautiful um, classic looking sculptures. Uh, and as far as the paintings that I've kept of my own, um, I definitely do feel very precious about the paintings that I've done early when I was first learning and the ones that I've done of my children, of my kids, um, you know, or anybody like my sister or something like that, it's important to me, my dog. So personal things like that, it's like when I'm painting those paintings, they're very they're like my own, I'm doing it for myself, literally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and we have, you know, we've kept a few paintings uh, around that are just special for different reasons. Um, there's one that Boris did. It's funny because I did a, I did a drawing um, before I met Boris that was this really weird psychological drawing that I did. That was of a mother and a daughter. I wonder who they are. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyway, <laughs> and then he did he did his version of a painting of my drawing. When he first, when I first met him, I took that drawing to show it to him, 
because it was really unusual. And I showed it to him, and he really liked it. And he asked me if he could do a painting of my drawing. And I said, yes. And so he did his version of, of my drawing. And so that's one that um, I also do feel that, you know, I would want to keep that painting because it's just something really special about it. And yeah, yeah. So it's like things that have a more personal meaning to them are mostly the ones that we've kept, you know. I have a portrait of Boris that I did and things like that. As a Viking in a cave? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Maybe. Someday. Um, (laughs) um, Do you have a big art dream that you'd like to achieve before you die? You know, I'm doing that right now. Honestly, just, I really am... Living my dream and beyond. Yeah. I, I didn't ever even dream that I would have this opportunities that I have now or be able to live in this world of just thinking about art all the time that I do and have my kids be the same and everything. It's just like, you can't, it's just the best thing in the world, you know? Yeah. I'm surrounded by it all the time. Yeah. That's lovely. Um, what's the biggest challenge you're facing at the moment as an artist? Hmm. Um, I mean, I can't wait till we can all travel again. I really miss that um, because it is really good to be able to go out to museums and yeah. travel in the world and see other parts of the world. Um, I think it's good for an artist to be able to do that. And it's something that I miss a lot. Um, so I would say that's probably the biggest challenge right now. Yeah. Okay. All right. My last question, got to the end. Um, I ask this to everyone who comes on the podcast. If there's one thing you could pass on to future generations, what would it be? Um, to just really stay connected to your true self and recognize that that true self is pretty connected to the other true selves out there. <laughs> yep. Very good. Um, okay, so what are the what's the addresses of your websites? Um, mine is juliebell.com. Yeah. J U L I E B E L L dot com, and then the other one is borisjulie.com. It's B O R I S J U L I E dot com. Okay. So yeah, great. Okay, and you're on um, Instagram and Facebook as well. Yes. Yeah, brilliant. I'll put links to all that in the show notes. Great. Okay. Well, it's been lovely chatting with you. Um, John, thank you so much. I mean, and and also all the people who wrote in questions, thank you very much. I'm really touched by all your, first of all, the sweet words that came with the questions. And <laughs> just the uh, the questions were really good ones and um, gave a lot of good things to talk about. And and thank you, John. Seriously, I love your, I love your show. And I um, want to talk to you someday about all your stuff, too, because that's, that's a whole other thing. It's like the <laughs> yoga things and all that. Love it. Oh, uh, thank you. So, um, yeah. yeah. All the circles. Yeah, the circles. Yeah. So we'll yeah, get into yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, that's the yoga art. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, lovely chatting with you. We had a very brief chat. I don't know how long that is ago. A couple of years when you were in the Visions of Venus. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. when you sort of popped up on my radar. Um, and yeah, I really like your art. It's um, it's very powerful. I and it's it's, it's 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 sort of wide ranging, you know. Like I, and I like all of it, <laughs> you know. Like meaning, I like the animal um, pictures, uh, paintings, 
seem to have a like your kind of affinity and love of the animals comes across. So the animals, you know, your paintings of animals are how I experience animals. You know, like that. Oh, that's all their, wonderful. All their character so character comes across. You know that there's a there's a a person there in an animal body kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. well, we're animals. You know, I mean, well, people are. We're all just part of the same world, and yeah, we're nature. We are nature. You know. Yeah. I like your abstract work as well. It's something. Um, I have a feeling you're, you're not, you haven't been doing the abstract that long, have you? Or have you? No, not yeah. as a finished thing. I mean, I've um, used it in different ways in my paintings, but not as a finished piece. Itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I like I like what I've seen, and then also I like the sort of promise of what's to come because it sort of has that feeling of like this is just a beginning. This these mm. abstract these kind of uh, beginning paintings. Um, That's cool. Th- yeah, there's got, a, there's got a nice sense of potential. You kind of like a, get, a, get a sense of what they're going to be like. Um, and then your, I mean, technically, it's amazing, your, your work. It's just so, you know, all the things that we've said about, you know, creating this sense of weight and lushness and reality in these yeah. fantastical imaginary places, you know, they don't seem imaginary, they kind of seem like <laughs> they exist somewhere and you just happen to be kind of channeling them, you know, and, you know, I That's like awesome. the, Thank I, you. I like the, the, what you were saying about the, the women are very powerful, there's something good, there's something about that that's, um, it, it sort of makes, looking at them, it changes it a little bit, because the, hmm. the, they're so physically physical, you know, this sort of presence. Mm-hmm. They don't have got that kind of waif-like uh, thing that you can see in figurative art a little bit where particularly, and it's probably men who do this painting like that, where the women look like they could kind of blow away, you know, <laughs> in a puff of kind yeah. of wind. Uh, I yeah. really like the sort of weight of um, your figures and how Thank they, you. you know, they feel like they would be hard to, you know, men and women, to try and lift them up. They feel like they would be Above, above average in terms of <laughs> solid, you know, yeah. like trying to lift a tree up or something. You know? Yes, that's right. So yeah, it's great, it's brilliant, and and then it's you know when we had that little ten minute chat all those years ago, I, I kind of made a mental note. I have to have to have Julian for a longer chat because he just seemed like mm-hmm. such an interesting kind of and friendly person. Well, I've been I've been here wishing and hoping that you would call me, and you did. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. Oh, that's good. <laughs> okay, well, I keep in touch with everybody. Um, Zoom, tea and coffee and whatnot. Okay. Yeah, so I keep in touch with everyone. Um, so I'm sure we'll keep in touch. But yeah, we'll say goodbye for now. Okay, goodbye, everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming. I've never felt this good in my entire life. Make me some spaghetti. Actually, I'd prefer a cup of tea. <laughs> a cup of tea would be lovely. So, yeah, just a little reminder, mainly because every second or third person who becomes a patron has got in touch with me and said, you know what, I've been listening to your podcast for ages, and I didn't become a patron, not because I don't have the money, not because I don't think it's great, I just didn't get around to it. So this is a little friendly reminder that if you'd like to be a patron, you'd like to buy me a cup of tea, go to patreon.com forward slash John Dalton, gently does it, all one word, or follow the link in the show notes, 
to become a patron, I would really appreciate it if you could do that, particularly if you've been mean to and you just haven't got around to it. It would be great. It would mean a lot to me. All right. Thank you. Bye. I can. Wonderful. And the camera is working too? No. No, it is. <laughs> oh, I see, I see. <laughs> One moment. Uh, yeah, I'm hi. <laughs> there you are. Always the uh, uh, technology stuff <laughs> that yeah. doesn't work like like perfectly. I, I have the problem with streaming. Like I'm, I'm streaming a couple of times already and something's always not working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty intense streaming, isn't it? It's like live TV. It is so exhausting. After bed, I can, like, sleep <laughs> directly. <laughs> like, fall onto the bed. Yeah. I used to work in, in TV. I'm good, thanks. I used to work in TV years ago and, uh, you know, they used to do live broadcasts and the, the amount of tension you know, the control box when, when it would be live. And it's re it's streaming really reminds me of that. It's like you're up, you're live, you know, you can't go back and fix anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I find it extremely, um, like, challenging too because you don't want to say, like, stupid stuff, but I kind of got um, out the words, like, I think I'm okay with it. Like, I know myself. I say stupid stuff from time to time, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I never say stupid stuff. It's always, oh, always that's gold. Right. That's, it's always gold that's that comes great. out of my mouth. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I am very well, thank you. I, um, I was dying, dying to tell you my little story about live TV, so I jumped over here. Uh, <laughs> that's so cool. No, that's so cool. And, and you were, like, on the... Um, National TV or something? Yeah, yeah, the national broadcaster. It's called RTE here. It stands for Radio Television Erin, which is all Irish for Radio and Television Ireland. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Oh, and you're, okay, I was wondering um, where you're from because of your wonderful accent. And I'm, like, super bad at telling where accents are from. And I was, like, thinking, oh, it's, it sounds like Australia and <laughs> things like Ireland. <laughs> well, you're right on both counts because I'm Irish, but I lived in Australia for 10 years. And even though I can't hear it anymore, I still have a bit of an Australian accent. Um, it's funny. It's Like, even though I have a slight Australian accent, I can't do an Australian accent, you know, like in some of the you know, do an American accent or, do, you know. I can do some of them. Yeah. I can't do an Australian accent. I end up sounding like a, some sort of weird middle-aged crocodile Dundee or something. It just doesn't sound right oh. at all. <laughs> That's great because I can't understand like real Australian accent at all. Like I, I wanted to do a comment. I, I wanted to listen to like a comedy TikTok or something from Australia. I couldn't like understand a word. So it's great that you are not talking like that. Yeah. <laughs> my my wife's just uh, accent because um, 
she's from Papua New Guinea, but we met in Australia, and she spent a lot of time in Australia as well. So she's got she's retained her Australian accent, even though she would say she hasn't. But to my ear, I can hear her Australian accent, yeah, quite strongly. I mean, every now and then I can hear myself saying something, but yeah, not really. But then when I lived in Australia, um, everybody thought I had this, you know, lovely Irish accent. And then whenever I would come home to visit Ireland, everyone in Ireland would fall, fall around laughing, going, oh, you've got such a stupid Australian accent there. So. Oh, no. I think um, English uh, accents are extremely beautiful. In Germany, however, people absolutely hate German accents, like, depending on which region you come from. Yeah. Like, for example, like the... Like the east of Germany, people hate on and bully the people that that sound like the east. And if you speak uh, English as a German person, people tend to criticize you for that accent. So Germans Germans are like super harsh when it comes to accents. <laughs> but I think it's only in the German language. Like they probably love like all English accents like me too. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, in mm. Ireland, there's 32 counties. I mean, it's a tiny country, as you know. It probably fits into Germany three or four times. But um, each county has its own accent. like, And it's very individual and very... Like, the, where I live in Ca County Kerry, yeah, the accent here is crazy. I mean, I've lived here for nearly 10 years, and I still, every now and then, I'll talk to somebody, and I'll, I really haven't got a clue what they're saying. <laughs> yes. I listened to an audiobook, like an Irish um, crimi criminology thriller story, and it was wonderful. Like the author, like the voice actor had this Irish accent, and it was very hard to understand, but it was amazing. Like I was transferred into another, like, I don't know, world. It was really nice. Hmm. The funny thing about Australia as well is there are different accents in Australia. Um, oh, they all, yeah, they all sound the same if you don't live there. It took me a while to figure it out, but like Queensland has got a different accent to, say, Victoria, and Western Australia is slightly different as well. I think Queensland's the strongest, though. Northern Queensland accent is pretty, pretty ochre, as they would say, which means <laughs> very, <laughs> yeah, true blue Australian. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It's a large country, but I think every country has its accent. If, if it's large or not, like probably like when you are like divided, um, you get like like accents, and I think that's very beautiful. Yeah, funny thing about Australia is it's a huge. I mean, it's a huge landmass, but the population's tiny. Yes. Something like twenty-two yes. million. Something like that. Yes, tiny amount of people, and they're all yes. on the coast mostly. You know. Yes, yes. I, I've uh, recently saw like different countries compared to like the the population on YouTube. Like, and I think in Japan, what was it like in one country in Singapore? Something where like more people than in Russia. Something crazy, but it yeah. was just mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, um, yeah now my um, internet can sometimes get a bit slow. So I can start to look like I'm coming from the space station, you know, I get a bit of, there's a bit of a delay coming up. Um, and so if that happens, don't, don't worry, the audio is always perfect, and it's the audio that kind of counts. And I'm recording me on a separate camera. You're, the person I'm talking to is always beautiful, but me, sometimes I get a bit slow. But just, if that happens, don't worry. And also, sometimes my camera 
just goes away for a little while. And you'll just see a thing saying, yeah. looking for camera. Don't let that stop your flow. I haven't gone. It's broken. <laughs> it's just my... Uh, I know that. Yes. You know the yes. thing, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I've, I've made similar experiences with my streams. Like, there were, like, people had to wait half an hour. I had to restart my PC, like, a couple of times. Because yeah, yeah. it, like, worked ten times in the testing round perfectly. But you know how it is. Yeah, <laughs> when it has to work, it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a TV. Yeah, that's true. You're, uh, I was just looking at your uh, setup there. It's very nice. You've got a very nicely lit, you know, the little spotlight yeah. on the... <laughs> Thing and behind oh, it, the plant there. That's good. Very good. Yeah, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. It's a bit flat. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm well lit, but it's a bit, you know, bleached. Oh. It's not, nothing, no accent. But, you know, just, I only really yeah. moved into this house a, mon a month ago, so I'm still figuring it all out. Yeah, when you are like on YouTube, or you have to make uh, videos on Instagram, you kind of have to do it, yeah. like learn it, and then you can't want, you don't want to do it. Uh, uh, you don't want to not do it, like even if it's just for a stream, and like you kind of want to have it nice. <laughs> so yeah. I, I always do it like nice, yeah. And yeah. yeah, like the the trick is you have to have like a uh, like a light from the front and another light from the back, or two maybe that like uh, cast light on the objects in the background, and you want to like um, have nice, like not seeing the ceiling, like on your Picture, for example. <laughs> I can see the ceiling. <laughs> well, hang on now. I'm in a dormer. That's a dormer. That's not the ceiling ceiling. That's a, you know, the roof coming down. Come on. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> if you yeah. thought that was the That's ceiling, oh, that would look, look such a strange angle, wouldn't it? If I, like I'm seeing, I'm, I know the room. I know the shape of the room I'm in, right? And um, but you don't. So yeah, looking at it now, it's like yeah, that's yeah, really yeah, yeah. It's you're like right, I have right. the camera on the floor, yeah. but I don't. It's, that's the that's the. I'm in the attic. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, really, I'm in the attic. I believe yeah. you. Okay. I believe yeah. you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I like the horse picture in the background. That's pretty cool, especially with the butterfly wings. Oh, uh, thank you. Cool. Yeah, that's one of mine. And the plant too. Plant is beautiful, too. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Um, okay, now, if you're listening, this isn't the how to create a nice lighting background video podcast. <laughs> this is, I am, I am talking to, uh, Leoba Buchner in Germany. Now, I'm sure I slaughtered your name there. How do you pronounce your name properly? Okay, I, I mean, it's a complicated name. Even Germans don't get it right, so no problem. So, my, uh, surname is pronounced Leoba. You could, like, write it with if it's easier, like, for the pronunciation. Your, your first name, not your, not your surname. Yeah. Oh, it's called, oh, sorry, yeah, first name, right. Okay, oh, surname yeah, yeah. is, like, the last name. Surname's last name, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, oh okay. <laughs> because, uh, no, in some, like, I think with people from India, their the first name is actually their surname, and their oh. the second name is their given name, I think. You know, there's some cultures where it's switched around, anyway. So when you said it, yeah. I was like, oh, is that a new German thing I didn't know about? <laughs> no, it's just my my English is just a little bit, like, weird sometimes. So I also yeah, made up words sometimes. <laughs> Thank you. I like it's so it's so funny. Like, sometimes people ask me things and they put it in quotes because I used the word, like, for 10 years. And then I realize, oh, okay, this word doesn't exist. And then yeah, I say, yeah. oh, it's really... <laughs> 
how it's really like what's a real word. But anyway, so my my first name is Lioba. Just Lioba. Lioba. Right. Yeah. I mean the the uh, the weight is on like the I. It's Lioba. But you can totally say right. But you can totally say like any way you want. Like even Germans yeah. don't get it Lioba. right. But if you want to get it right, it, it would be Lioba. Yeah. <laughs> and my last name is complicated for like everyone else than Germany, uh, Germ- Germans, and it's just Rückner. <laughs> Right, perfect. That's pretty good. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I saw. I saw it was spelled differently. It's like when it's got the U with the yeah. two dots over it. What's that U with the two dots over it called? Or what's that two dot thing called? Yeah. Oh, that's that's just a German letter. It's not, an like we have U and we have U, and my name is uh, pronounced Rückner. So it's the U with the two dots, like the U oh, with the two okay. dots. But because it's actually a very bad name for the internet, <laughs> so I should actually have just chosen my first name because um, if you like write it down on Google, you might not find it because it's, it's like written differently. So yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, because there's, there's another version of it where you throw an e in there, isn't there? When you don't have the two yeah. dots on the i. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. This is like my my social media name because in German we like we we change if we have like an like in, like these letters with the dots are called umlaute, and if we have these um, letters, we can <laughs> instead of because in some countries you don't have them, you can like write them differently. Mm. And I used like this writing because I thought it made sense, but then afterwards I realized it's just com- completely confusing. But now I can't change it anymore, and I just have to live with it. Mm. <laughs> I have that in other like in Sweden they have similar kind of thing, don't they, in Swedish and uh, Scandinavian countries that got funny things on the letters as well. Yes, <laughs> funny yes, things I saw that. <laughs> Global citizen here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely know what you mean. Like, yeah. the, the al- alphabets are everywhere different and it's, it's that complicated. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's Russian. I mean, let's, must, let's just not get into Russian. Oh my God. Usually around this time when I'm you know, chatting with the the person I'm going to talk to, you. I I, I will have done a search for their name, you know, and, then, and like it's kind of funny to see what comes up on Google. But because your name is so unusual, you, nobody else comes up. <laughs> it's just you. At least, at least that's great. You got it. You got it covered. Yeah, you're all over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And your website was the the top, which is nice. You're beating uh, Facebook and Instagram. Often it's you know Instagram and Facebook because they've got the weight of their you know internet weight they they will put you at the top of the list but uh, now your your website's the very top why why just a matter of interest why did you go for dot info instead of dot com so um this is just an old domain i got when i was very young like i don't know 13 years old or 10 years old and i was interested in programming and websites so i got it just from a friend he, he gifted it to me and then i just kept it as my Website and if you go back like on Time Machine, like this is like a uh, website, mm-hmm. you can go back like when I was I don't know 13 and check out my website and then you wow. see like all the drawings and yeah and since like it's not so great if you change the domain at least this is what people said to me I just uh, went with it and so I just have it like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because because mine is dot me. It's because it's me. It's John. Oh, that's dot, great. Dot me. Dot, yeah. dot me. Well, it's amazing how people. You know, it's almost like you're speaking another language. Particularly if you're given. If I'm telling someone the website address or my email address, because it's the same thing. No. Um, yeah. Verbally, they're like, so that's johndalton.com. No, no, it's dot me. Dot what? Dot me. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Me. You know, like because it's me. Yeah. Yeah. But, Dot me, it's like takes about three goes for them to get us. Yeah, yeah, I I know the struggle. It's the same with info. Like I have to be like super slow talking, (laughs) like very, very loud, and then they mostly get it. Okay, (laughs) and then do do they go? Okay, so that's info dot com. Great, I've got it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly like that. (laughs) Um, All right, now if you're listening, just give you time context for our conversation. Uh, today is Wednesday, the 27th of October, 2021. Now, uh, for someone who is listening who hasn't seen your work, how would you describe what you do? Yeah, so I create paintings of pretty women, I would say, submerged with flowers, with fantasy influences, mostly portraits, they are very uh, romantic and very colorful with some abstract elements. It's all very, like, um, not really girly. It's, like, in between, um, like, a fantasy portrait. Oh, it's also it's a real, uh, realism, like, it goes into the realism direction. So it's a merge of fantasy, realism, portraits, and lots of flowers, <laughs> I would say. Okay, <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, so we've had... Uh, some questions come in on on, uh, on the socials, so we'll get into them. Hannah in Brazil says, do you have any favorite artists or artworks that get you inspired even after all these years? That is, that is a very good question because it's really like that. If you do it for a long time, you kind of have like this mental library and you don't like have like an obsession with one artist or something that is ex- extremely like perfect for you, you ca- I kind of had that in the beginning, but now I, I don't have like a favorite artist that is like a great inspiration for me. Um, I do have a couple of paintings definitely and like a huge inspiration folder with I don't know hundreds and hundreds of paintings. I would say one of my favorite paintings still is from John Singer Sargent, like the um, Lily Carnation Lily Rose, I don't know, like the title, like this very uh, famous painting. Like this is definitely one of my favorites, and like of course Monet's paintings, Gustave Grimm's paintings, but mostly because I was like researching these artists lately. But I'm sure this will change like in three months again. So <laughs> currently, like these are my favorites. Like the Sargent painting will probably always stay, and the other ones, of course, the classics. Um, like contemporary artists, I can't remember the name right now. <laughs> I'm no help there. All right. And are all your creative heroes, are they all painters? or? Oh, well, um, like it depends what is meant with creative heroes. I would say like everyone who's very... Um, hmm... I'm not sure, like, I think good persons in general who have, like, the whole package of maybe the right balance of ambition and 
but also like worshipping their families and friends, being creative and just these people would be something that would be kind of heroes to me. Like when I read read um, biographies sometimes of people, I would say like, oh yeah, this person I can connect with and I would I would say like, yeah, this, this would be a person I would, um, I might consider as a hero or something. Um, but they're not really artists, I think. I'm not sure. Like, I haven't really thought about it. I would say my greatest hero is my husband. <laughs> because, like, he's the most important person in my life. So, yeah. And he's an artist, so that would probably count. <laughs> nice. Um, so, can you separate the art from the person? You know, yeah. like um, yeah, so. you know, like say Picasso. By all accounts, he wasn't a very nice person and a bit mm-hmm. of a misogynist. By all accounts, yeah. Um, so does that, in you know, like when you look at his work, does it, you know, change it for you? Like, have you gone off Michael Jackson? You know, <laughs> his music. That when you hear the music coming on, you're like, oh, I used to like that, but oh, no. I just can't like it anymore. No. No, no, not not really, um, because I think humans are just good and bad at the same time, and some people are more bad than good, and I don't really mind really currently. Like, um, I can truly separate it, and I mean, if there's someone really horrible, um, of course I would always have that in mind, but I'm not that doesn't really affect me that much <laughs> because I'm older probably right now. I'm like kind of relaxed and chill and if I see something nice, I just like it for what it is. <laughs> and yeah. I don't really care about much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I'm, I'm not, no, it, it definitely changes the complexion of the whole thing for me, I must say, if I know about somebody. Like I used to love Anish Kapoor and then I've <laughs> found out he's not a very nice person. And it's really taken the shine off all this stuff for me. It's like, uh it's just not I think it also depends what the person is doing. Let's say True. there's like a person who does charity and he's like or she's like a horrible person who kind of takes advantage of, I don't know, other people, then it would be something different. But if it's like a completely different, I don't know, like genre, like for example the ex- actors or um like artists, I think then you can separate it differently. But better. I would say, but I think it's a personality type. <laughs> like if you're a person like me, I just expect expect people to be like bad people, so I don't mind. <laughs> Your expectations are low, is that what you're saying? Very, very low, yes. Oh, I always okay. expect like nothing and the worst, and when something great happens, I'm just happier. <laughs> so okay. You can't, you can't, yeah, yeah. I, I, it worked for me so far, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, Bay Welly on Instagram says, where do you get your inspiration from? Yes, yeah, so um, I have a huge inspiration folder, but I also have my own just taste, and it always stays the same. Um, so, I just have my, um, it can be Instagram, it can be um video game, for example, and it's mostly a combination of all, all those things. And then I just, oh, and dolls, ball jointed dolls. 
um, they are, it's, it's a whole art form. And then I collect all the images, and then I say, hey, I like the color from on this sec, one. On. What are ball-jointed dolls? Ball-jointed dolls are very beautiful dolls. They are like this size. Sometimes they are even bigger. That's about and two, they are two feet. Two feet. Uh, yeah, about half, half a meter, yeah. Yes, they can, I think they can be even larger. Some, some are very small. I have one that is like this. And they are kind of designed almost like um, manga characters, but in a very strange, almost like eerie way. They would have like adult um, bodies, and unfortunately they have like child faces, so it's kind of like they have kind of a sexual way that I don't like that much. But anyways, the dolls are very pretty, and they come in very, very beautiful dresses, and they are like lots of artists. Mostly they come from Asia. But I think they're also in other Oh, yeah. I think I know them. I don't know. And when, when you say ball-jointed, they, they're posable, are they? Are they any of the ones I've seen, they look like little statues more than... Yeah, but they can move. Like, you can oh. um, get clothing for them. You can change the wigs. And there's, like, a whole, like, um, community, like, a very big community that collects these dolls. Right. And they get them custom-painted. And um, you can get lots of beautiful dresses for them and they're really beautiful because um they resemble a little bit my paintings not that much so they're a little bit more idealized but i love like the fantasy aspects of them so i have like lots of images of them i only have one because they're super expensive and have like a um black market one so not a real one because like when you get one they're easily like a thousand um dollars like us wow. dollars or more Wow. Uh, and yeah, they're very <laughs> the whole expensive. world. I didn't even know existed. <laughs> yeah. And you, I can do one painting like with a doll. So I, that wouldn't make sense like financially to, me, financially to me to buy all these dolls. But I have one and I took a couple of pictures. But mostly I stitched together like from the different ball jointed dolls and then from mm. like a real face and then from something else. And then I create these com compositions that I paint, and these are like one of my inspirations because they're so beautiful. And the artists that make the dolls, they make beautiful dolls, and they are photographers that take the pictures, and it's like a real artwork, so yeah. Uh, so do you, do you use the doll the way, you know, like the kind of staple in an artist's kind of toolkit, you'll see, you'll always see this like wooden model, you know, with a on a spike oh. kind of thing, a posable model. Do you use it like that? Like you pose the the doll as a as part of your process? Well, um, mostly not. Um, I have taken pictures of my doll, which I post. Um, but I have like a small model, like this one. It's not a ball jointed doll. It is a tool for artists. And when I do drawings, which I rarely do, but if I do them. I uh, use this little um, model because then I get like the anatomy right. But mostly I do it on in Photoshop, and I sometimes I post myself if I need some hand specific hand poses. Uh, but mostly I just look on hours for the internet for the right body part that I need, and then I stitch it together mm. <laughs> until I have my composition. Mostly I also do portraits and like half body poses so I don't need complicated poses so mm. it's not that difficult yeah right okay um so how do you record your ideas do you make little 
you know, are you a sketchbook sort of person, or do you write things down, like words in words, or do you make voice memos? Like, how do you capture your ideas? Oh, I I don't at all, actually. <laughs> I don't at all. I have, like, I'm, like, I'm a very scheduled person. If, I don't know if that's a word, but I'm, like, very organized, and I know, okay, I have, like, five deadlines this month and I have to create these paintings for it and then I say okay today I have to do a painting and uh, it has to be to this specific topic because I have like like these little auctions every month where I have like where we have like these topics like some of this month is guardian spirits and then I say okay it has to do we have to do something with an animal and then I just look at the internet and look at my inspiration folders and then I um maybe you can say I rec- I know I haven't thought about it, but my recording process actually is do is doing PSD files. <laughs> so I work, I put a mock-up together, and then I save it basically. And uh, sometimes I uh, I revisit it if I need it for a future painting. But I don't right. really script things down. I recently started sketching again because I didn't do it for a long time and I really missed it. Um, but mostly, I think I'm I'm just so organized. I just work all the time. I I don't really have like um, time to put down ideas, I think. Yeah. Well, it sounds it, like it sounds it's bad, digital collage. Good. It's like it, you do it. Yeah. That's, that's your way of capturing the idea, is it? Yeah. Yeah. You could say it like that. Definitely. Yeah. But it's also like the when I capture it, I mostly I use it directly, but not all of them. So yeah, you could say it like that. Right. <laughs> and that auction you're talking about is that's with mm-hmm. uh, Bad Apple, is that right? Yeah, that's true. That's like the the best, like the fun, most fun thing I did um, in the last years. And it's like a constant source of like feeling like a real artist <laughs> for me. It's really wonderful because each month we have to do a theme and create an artwork for it. And I have like a couple of um, collectors that regularly buy from me. So... Um, it's really nice. So I do a little artwork and I buy it and yeah, that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. And that that is an artist run collective, isn't it? Or That's true, that yes. Yeah. It's it it exists like um for twelve or thirteen years already. It's a really long time. And um sometimes like um and gallery uh even gallery owners buy from us so it might look um, in like a niche thing, but it's it's kind of established, like an online, almost like an established online gallery, I would say. But it's really cool. Yeah, like from just, I mean, I didn't go into it in a lot of depth, but mm-hmm. just from a sort of surface look, and the style of the other artists is, you're all sort of in the same kind of area. Yeah. So yeah. if... if that is your thing. If you like that kind of style, you'd be like in heaven. <laughs> if you can yes, cross that it out. is. It is wonderful. Yes, I absolutely love it. And I think the style that I do and the other artists from the collective is kind of a niche style, I would say. Like pop surrealism. I mean, there are many artists that do it, do this, but I think um, the this collective is definitely special because uh, we like successfully sold uh, artwork over the last years and it is really wonderful like wonderful to work with all of them and it's like little family so and it's only over Facebook 
So it, it's people don't believe me when I tell them that, but it is true. <laughs> um, what do you mean it's only over Facebook? Again, can you say that again? What, what do you mean it's only over Facebook? Everything is over Facebook. The auctions are on Facebook. Our communication is on Facebook. So it's not on the website. It's just in a Facebook album. Like, it's just pronounced right. Album, Al right? Album, yeah, yeah. Album. Yeah, you create an album, and then you put the images in it, and that's the auction. People comment comment with their bits. And wow. That's it. Wow, that's really yeah. simple. Yeah, if, if, yeah. If, you were, if you were pitching that to me, like if you, you know... If you're like, I've got this idea, I'd say, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I know. I was like, a couple of years ago, I was like talking to an art student, and I was telling her that, and she was like straight saying to me, I don't believe that. I'm like, it's true. <laughs> I'm telling you this. No, I don't believe it. I'm like, okay, you don't have to. Like, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and then how does the payment, where do they make the payment? Well, it's like... Uh, you can do it like every artist handles it on their uh, own uh, okay. basis. For example, you can create a listing in your online shop or you can like, just accept it via PayPal. Um, I do both sometimes, like mostly via PayPal, but sometimes I create something in my online shop. And um, sometimes, of course, like you would, you would think that people would just, um, for fun, write a bit and then don't uh, follow through. But that really rarely happens. So if the people bid, they really do it like they mean it, and mm. you just connect to them. Like uh, I just, like every artist, um, write them a message on Facebook. You can like write them everyone a message. You know, like how Facebook works, and then you just communicate with them, and then then you send the artwork. Yeah. Brilliant. Pretty simple. <laughs> and what's your, like, uh, for each auction, do you, does everything sell or do you sell regularly through it or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, the um, sometimes, like, uh, you can sell, like, higher price paintings, but mostly it's, like, normal people and um, they, like, my pieces. Are you saying the collectors sell. are not normal people? <laughs> well, many art like you would. Um, I mean, like with normal people, like with a normal income, like not. I don't know, super okay. rich people would buy <laughs> like art for I don't know, like ten thousands of of yours. Like my my pieces sell for a couple of hundred hundred dollars dollars each month, and this is nice because it's not the most like my income doesn't. My income doesn't, uh, it's only for my art. So for me, it's just a nice addition. And I have like very um, loyal collectors and it's like, it makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, if you're listening and you're getting all excited about this, if this is the uh, Bad Apple Collective or what, I'm not sure, the, what's it, Bad Apple, what's the last bit? Is bad, bad, bad Apple Artist Collective. Artists collecting. It's invitation it's, only. Yeah. <laughs> so. It is exactly, and we get lots of um, um, artists um, one, wanting to join us, and of course, we only like internally we decide which would be a fit for us, and so we don't, don't accept like people. I know it's very sad, like it's very sad, but we always say you can make your own collective. It just takes a couple of time, but everyone could potentially do it. So. Yeah. If, it, if it doesn't work out, yeah. But that makes sense, though. If it's like if someone is doing a kind of style of art that's completely different, it's not. It's just not going to work. It's not going to fit. 
So, and it's also important that you have like a huge following because the collectors has to like um, like new artists also have to bring new collectors in so that the collectors see um, that like artists established artists get new collectors but they also share their collectors with the new artists so we don't yeah. want to have like for example there are like five collectors like well, I don't know five collectors and then you have ten new artists but they're still five collectors so we also yeah. need new collectors yeah 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 uh, Kevin Mann on Patreon, thanks for the tea, Kevin, says, hi, Lioba. Um, Lioba. Hello. Getting better. Uh, uh, hi, John. Uh, lovely, lively, colorful work. How do you choose your subjects? Okay, you've kind of covered that, but is there anything else you want to add to that? Well, I think um, my subjects often are like a collage out of different people but sometimes not so basically if uh, if there's like a model or someone even a photoshopped like not real person that falls into this kind of childlike um, dollish um, version like it would suit me as a model like so you can see in the background this is by the way um, Eva Gamayun it's an artist too and she has like this beautiful face so it's an extra actually a real face and um, this kind of is like what I I don't know why but these are the faces that I think are the most interesting to paint and they're like really fun and I love them so if something looks like that like that I want to paint it probably <laughs> all right um, Simon Austin also on Patreon thanks for the tea Simon says uh, how and where do you source your resources to create a series of work Again, I don't understand the question. <laughs> can, well, you, can you say that? Um, what he's kind of asking is, um, well, I think he's kind of asking, like, do you do you paint from life at all? Like, do you get models if oh. you have an idea or anything like that? And then if not, are there places that you go to to look for images? Like, oh, I get everything from Pinterest. Or, no, there's this yeah. deviant art you know, website yeah. that I got you or whatever, you know. I see. Yeah, well, so Pinterest is a good thing, in uh, Instagram in general, and then I um, like these doll pictures, and then I just stitch them together. Oh, and I have like a huge library of flower paint, uh, of flower pictures that I took myself, because I need, mostly, I love roses, and I love to paint roses, and I need them from a specific angle, and mostly on the internet, they are not photographed from this angle. And, Whenever I see roses outside, I have a couple of roses my, uh, of my own, but also in our neighborhood in the summertime, there are a lot of beautiful rose bushes, bushes. And then I go with my camera and then I photograph them all in exactly that angle that I need, like a little bit from the side, uh, like on this painting here behind me. And um, like this is one of the resources that I um, use and mostly I look for something specific. For example, if I need like wings, um, I just look for birds in the inter on the internet, like hundreds of birds, and then I choose the one bird that I think has the best wings, and then I cut out the wings like very meticulously. And um, then I save it, maybe I need the wings for another painting. And I've like over the years like have this huge like um, library of files of individual things that are all kept 
catalogued? Well, catalogued or categorized. Catalogued. Okay, I, I go with catalogued. But I catalogued over the time. Uh, and, yeah, this I use for, like, putting together, like, the mock-up. Yeah. Right. And so never with models or, or not? I don't know. Yeah, sometimes. Like, I mean, your podcast listeners can't see it, but they want paint. Like, the two paintings actually in the background are from real models. Um, if I get the chance or I have people that have um, photos taken of them, this one painting behind me, like the one with the um, uh, birds, um, this I took like myself, like the, the photos of the model, but it was like years ago. And since I have like such a tight schedule, a painting doesn't necessarily get better when I do the photos myself, at least like the way I do paintings. <laughs> so I can just use other photos as well. But um, if I had the time, it's very fun to do photos yourself. I would do it. But currently, I don't really do it anymore. Okay. <laughs> uh, I guess, you, you see, I'm very organized. Like, everything has to be effective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Shafana Rashid in India says, watercolor or oils? Oh. Which do you prefer more? Oh, well, it depends. Like, um, I love watercolor and gouache because it's so quickly, and um, I really like to, um, I want to have like a quick result. I'm like so impatient, unfortunately, and I love to have something there. So I love watercolor for that. But oils do the nicer effects and the more beautiful, um, like paintings I think look a little bit better when you do them in oils. You can just do more things. So it really depends. Like if you want to go for, um, something that is quick, I would say uh, watercolor is better, and for everything else, oil is better. So there's not, it's not like one is better than the other one. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to remember what the difference between watercolor and gouache is. What What is the main yeah. difference? Yeah, gouache is um, opaque watercolor. So you can, with watercolor, it's always transparent, and you can oh, only yeah. layer transparent layers on top of each other. But let's say you want to correct something, or you want to have a very opaque and clean area somewhere, then you want to use gouache for that. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I like to combine like the three mediums, like watercolors, color pencils, and gouache, um, because this gives me like the best result. On like I always try to get something that looks like oil paint, but it's not really possible. But the closest I could go there uh, is with like the three. Uh, Mediums. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Mann on Patreon, thanks for the tea, Kevin, says, how do you get your initial drawing onto the paper? Oh, well, I, um, after I did, like, the composition on Photoshop, I trace it. <laughs> I know I people hate it, and I get a lot of, um, like, like, hate for it, but um, in order to get my crazy busy schedule done, I trace my composition um, on my um, my paper, and I just do it with tracing paper. Um, yeah, if I had more time, I would probably do it like more like drawing, but mostly I trace it. <laughs> so do you print, you print out your... your yeah, um, that's right. So you're right, and then you 
trace that and then you transfer it onto the canvas or the paper or whatever it is, is it? Yeah, exactly. I um like currently I like in the last time I did a lot more watercolor works. I think I didn't do something on canvas. Um and I uh, printed out in the size of my paper. And yeah, then I just used the tr uh, the tracing paper underneath the reference photo and then I trace it through. Yeah. And then I have the lines. Also, people always think that this makes you an artist. Like, they always say it's cheating, but it's not. Like, the real work is going, is the painting process. So everyone who's now crying and are yelling, like, no, that's cheating. It is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't really understand that myself, um, that kind of mentality. It's almost like yeah. a, a it's not it's not a purist kind of thing, but it's it's like what does it matter? Like what does it why does it matter? I mean if if your thing is I've tried that and tracing somehow loses something for me and it doesn't allow me to express myself as an artist and I like to draw things from scratch, great. Like that's lovely. Yeah. But why do you why do you have yeah. to say somebody else who isn't doing that is like, Oh well you're not really <laughs> you're I don't understand that. Yeah, I think because Many artists want to, um, like, the more realistic or the greater the proportions of a drawing are, or come close to a photograph, the more they think they are skillful, like, the better they are as an artist. And if someone just traces it and takes this whole part out, they kind of probably think it's pointless what they do. I will say it, but think like that. And then they, like, if you skip that step, they, maybe they think it's, it takes away from their, like, work. It's my theory. I'm not sure. I don't know. But, I mean, like, you know, I was just looking at a... was on Instagram earlier on, and, and a, a little video of Damien Hurst popped up, and he's painting his, I think, the cherry blossoms at the moment. And he's got a, you know, the sort of extender pole that a house painter would use to paint the ceiling, with the, and they'd put a roller on the end of it. He's got one of those, mm -hmm. and he's got a paintbrush duct tape to it, you know, and he's dipping it in his bucket and he's, you know, and I mean, they're okay, but I mean, it, you know, for the amount of money those paintings are going to sell for, like, you know, that's that's the art world as well, like, to start quibbling about, <laughs> oh, no, you're not, you know, you're, not, you're, yeah. crazy, so you're not a real artist, I mean, yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. you know, if you think of the art world, the hierarchy, he, you know, mm -hmm. he would be at the top. And it's like, well, right. if he's just doing whatever the hell he wants, then really, what does right. it matter? You know, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I mean, as a professional artist, you just have different things to worry about. Like, it's just absolutely unimportant for you. <laughs> like, if something is traced or not. Like, the end result is important. That the collectors like it is important. Other things, like, if you, um, maybe, maybe it's not even the artwork you have to do. Sometimes... Like, I do YouTube, sometimes it has to do, the video has to be good, and then the artwork isn't as important anymore. So, um, it's just, you just have to live with these people <laughs> that constantly criticize you, but, well, it's just how it is. <laughs> right. Um, so, it, do you... Do you work out the color, like, do you do, a like, a digital color study as part of your collage, digital collage process? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Like, every 
Mostly everything is already set in Photoshop and work very long on these compositions. People think like, oh, it's very fast, but some, some people have seen how I do them on my YouTube channel. And sometimes they take like two days, <laughs> like only these compositions. And everything is like already set. The colors are set. Um, every little detail is set. Um, and um, I in Photoshop, I can change the colors and I can think, okay, would this um, painting look better if it would be maybe in a cooler color setting or would it look better if it would be a little bit warmer and everything is already uh, in, in, finished in Photoshop so that I can concentrate completely on the painting process because it's very difficult to paint, right? Um, it's easier if you have, like just have to execute the painting and you don't have to think about colors or something. So I try to do all the preparations before so that I know that my end result will be very nice. Of course, I change things because it can never look like on the digital mock-up. Uh, but these are only minor things. And also the abstractions, like the abstractions of watercolor, you can't um, control them, and they always give your work a really nice, um, like, random things that you can't get in Photoshop. And yeah. yeah. It would be boring if you would just copy it completely so yeah. yeah do you uh, work from the monitor or do you work from a, a color printout um currently i work from an ipad okay. uh my husband bought it to me uh, bought it to me and I, I was so happy it's like so much easier now uh and um, before i would work from my laptop but it's really huge and um it just takes such a large space on my um, on my table and it always annoyed me. So now with the iPad it's better because it's mm. not that huge. Yeah. yeah, and it's great because you can zoom in for details, right? With a color yeah. copy. Um, but when I started painting ten years ago, I painted really huge paintings and I all painted them from little photographs, like something very mm. small. Um, yeah, it is possible. I today I don't know how I did it back then though, but it must have been possible because I did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it one of the big iPads or just a normal size one? Uh, I think it's a big one. Yeah. But it, I would, it would work with a small one too. Yeah. Yeah. I had uh, Fintan McGee on the podcast a couple of years ago and he does huge murals, you know, on the side of buildings, you know, 13, 14 stories. And he, yeah. grids, he grids them. Uh, he gr he'll grid the yeah. building. Right, and he's yeah. working from his iPhone, <laughs> you know, in a in a cherry picker yeah. halfway up the side of the yeah. building, you know, and he's using his iPhone as reference. So it's it's it insane. blows my mind how yeah. muralists do their work. I'm completely crazy, like very impressive. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, what sort of substrates do you like to paint on? Um. You mean like paper and canvases? Yes. Okay, so currently my favorite is Winsor & Newton hot press paper. They gifted me a couple of them and I've never worked with them and I was extremely surprised about the quality. Before that, my favorite, it would still be my favorite, it would be Fabriano hot press paper, but the quality is like, it depends on what parts you get from the company. It could be absolutely horrible or absolutely great. So I never know if I get a block from Fabiano, will it be a good one or will it be a bad one? And they are oh, very okay. expensive. Like one block costs like 40 euros. And um, the complete block is watched 
And then the next one is good, and it drove me completely crazy, and I hated it so much. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, then I, I tried Arches, which is great too. Um, I like, I think it's very similar, but it's not quite similar. The difference mainly for me is how the abstract watercolor um, effects that you get look. And on Fabriano, they are very harsh and very pronounced, and I love that a lot. Um, they are like really beautiful. And then on Arches, they have that kind of too, but it kind of looks similar like on Winter and Newton. So they're not as harsh, they're not as pronounced. They kind of still work. Um, currently, I work with the Winter and Newton, and it's nice because um, the great one with this paper is that you can correct a lot, mostly with watercolor, is that with the Fabriano paper, you put a color down, and then you can never correct it, and it always stays this like this. And if you did a mistake, then you have to live with it. But with the Fabriano paper, you can lift it off again, and you can correct it. So, uh, uh, with the Winston Newton paper. So, yeah, I'm working currently on Winston Newton paper. Sorry, I got carried away. I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> and, um, yeah, what about canvas? You, you paint on canvas yeah. as well? Yeah, uh. I also paint on canvases. Um, there is a canvas that I buy locally from the Bülsner store. Um, it's not available online, and I don't know the name. It's like um, like a fine, it's very fine grained. Um, this is the one, and um, like the one painting behind me, I painted with this one, and the other one I painted on the Winter Newton uh, canvas. I like when the canvas is not too um, slick but also not too rough. So something in between. Very fine, not specific. Then I, I can't really paint on it when it's like super thick. The color slides on it and you... I, I don't like it. So, mm. yeah, these would be my favorite surfaces. Okay. <laughs> so no wooden panels, no aluminium, nothing like that? Oh, I try to paint on every one of them. Um, wood panels, I like them too. But I can paint, I find canvases easier for blending. Um, but for panels are beautiful too. You can, I think I'm just not trained that much. So if I want to just become a little bit better, um, make maybe different effects, I would probably start working on wood again. Um, it's like the problem with the comfort zone. Once you kind of uh, get used to something you like, you uh, like I'm a person that is like hard to get out of it again. So right. I probably have to just try out different mediums again. Yeah, but currently I'm just always in. Uh, I fight against my schedule because I have so much to do. I just want to get my work done, and then yeah, I can try out other things. Right. <laughs> Have you ever used those um, clay panels? You, um, oh. You know, like Ali Kavanagh uses the, she does watercolors oh, yes. on the clay. Yes, yes. Yes, I know. I, I've listened to a podcast um, with her long ago, but I'm not sure if it was on your podcast or some, somewhere. <laughs> and yes, she she um, told about them. Um, I have never painted on them before. I think you you will probably not be able to work with color pencils on them, so I would rule them out already. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I, I haven't used them, so I don't know. Um. 
Okay, Kevin Mann again says, uh, do you choose colors dynamically or is there a cunning plan? Any cunning plan. So with me, there are always plans, of course, like I'm an organized person. Um, but sometimes, well, yeah, I would say it's a mixture of, uh, of my experience too because, for example, with skin tones, like the photos you find on the internet are not always the greatest, so you have to kind of make up your own. So there are always in my mind a couple of colors that I will add additionally to the skin, so I know it will look good like turquoise or greens or yellows, even if they're not in the, paint, uh, in the picture. And um, sometimes things happen um, spontaneously. Mostly, mostly it's planned, I would say. I'm boring in that in that regard. <laughs> yeah, I've seen on some of your videos where you will you'll you'll start off with the plan, and then you'll as you're looking at the painting, and you know coming to life in front of you, you know, yeah, I'm going to change that, and then you'll go back yeah, to Photoshop, Photoshop, try it out, see if it works, yeah. and then go back to yeah, the painting. Oh, that's true. It's so nice that you watched some of my videos, John. I'm very ha I'm happy about that. Of course. Of course I watched them. <laughs> I watched them. Like, I didn't just watch them for uh, our conversation. I've been watching them for a good while. Really? Oh, yeah. that's so wonderful. And uh, did wh what video did you watch, like, recently? What was the last one? Or did you remember one in particular that you liked? Well, I like the series that you've been doing where you um, you say like you're talking about Gustav Klimt and you're painting a yeah. version of one of his paintings. But yeah. then you go into the history and uh, you know of him. I, yeah. I like those particularly because I'm kind of interested in. Uh, I like to hear about the people. Uh, you know, I, I like yeah. looking at the artwork, but then I also like to to know about the life and the and you pack a lot of information into those. Yeah. Oh my god! There must yes. be quite a bit of research there. Oh my god! You will like I'm opening the how is it called like anyway yeah absolutely um, I'm so happy you like these videos. They took like a long time to do uh, like research on them, hmm. but I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think these videos took me a month, but unfortunately I have to stop this series. It's very <laughs> sad because it enjoyed I enjoyed it a lot like reading all of these. Um, like uh, biographies and learning so much about the artist and I was like it was so cool and I loved it a lot but it uh, didn't really um, went well on YouTube oh. and the amount of work that I put into this series does not uh, justify the um, end result that I get back from it so I always have to think okay how much um, does YouTube pay me like add revenue mm. from these mm. videos and how much patrons do I get from them, for example? And it just didn't didn't work out. Only with one uh, video. that's a shame. Yeah, it is horrible. I hate it. I I wanted to do like all the artists, and I wanted to do history, and like I also did mythology videos. I love them. I don't know. So I still have to find a balance. Maybe I can do some of them in between. Or I'm not sure. But it looks like I have to do more like art videos, like more mm. really art, like with, like how to paint and mm. fix and something like that. Right? Which yeah. which one of those did, did well? The uh, the 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 artist videos or like the the art tips video? No, the artist videos, the ones we were talking the about. The Gustav Klimt one. The Gustav Klimt uh, video did well and the Monet video did well, but not the Vincent van Gogh video, although it was the one that took the most research. And I think it's all, also the 
the longest and with the most information. And it took me really a month. And yeah, unfortunately, it didn't go as well as I thought. I'm so happy I did it because it's really, I think it's really nice. And mm-hmm. um, it, it, I put a lot of effort in it. And if I do something that has um, that I'm proud of, I don't regret doing it because I'm proud of it and it's good. But I'm I'm not going to do it in future because well I have to pay bills, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Have you yeah. listened to the uh, Art uh, History podcast? Art History it's, podcast? Uh, no, it's Art History. It's two sisters who uh, they talk about what they do. They're traveling around, but they they. Oh. Each episode is about a particular painting, and then the painting oh. is a, um, a, like a doorway into them talking about the artist and the, the well, they talk about it in terms of the gossip <laughs> behind the painting oh, and great. all that kind of thing. Not gossip. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it might be um, like just when you were saying about that some didn't do so good. Um, the f- the fact that they start off with an artwork, one like a pe- one painting, and then that's how they go into all the uh, rest of it, which is kind of what you did on the Klimt one a little bit, I think. Maybe you did it on the Van Gogh one as well, where you had that you know portrait, and then you had that collaboration with the vintage Egyptologist. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and that's right. I remember that. Yeah, okay. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah, maybe it was the collaboration. Maybe I had um, a celebrity. No, well, no, I'd say it's because the painting was very recognizable. The thumbnail was like, oh, yeah, that's a, you know, yeah. I know that painting. And then because it was, oh, that's I know key. that painting, but it's slightly different. So, yeah, that's interesting. You know, then go into it. Oh, that, that could be like, yeah, why it works. But I was so excited that um, Colleen, like Dr. Colleen Darnell is her name, that she wanted to do the collaboration with me. With me. It was over the moon. I'm a fan of her. She's such an amazing, like, fashionista. Egyptologist is her real, like, profession. So it's and I saw her like on Disney Plus on the documentary. So I was like, oh my gosh, she wants to work with me. What's so amazing? And then she even sent me photos, like, exactly like the painting. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So the whole project was a lot of fun. It was super cool. Mm. It worked out. Worked out for me. Um. So yeah. But even if it wouldn't have worked out for me, it was one of the like one yeah. really cool things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, with your, um, did you did you say that you're mostly doing watercolors at the moment? Yeah, it's because of the time, really. Um, I'm mostly doing watercolors at the moment. I always want to do. I will do a big oil painting, like a commission, uh, next month really big one, like the biggest one that I did in the last year. It's, I think it's one meter 20 by, I don't know, 80 centimeter. I'm not sure how it is in feet, I have no idea. <laughs> but it's really large. It is um, this large. Yeah. <laughs> sort of four foot by a little under three foot by the sound of it. Yeah, and I'm yeah. so excited for it. Um, I will do it, it with acrylics, and I was, uh, bought me the golden open acrylics, which are supposed to be very close to oils because they don't dry that fast. So I'm very excited for it. And it will be a lady night, one of my favorite subjects, so I'm so excited for it. Unfortunately, next month is very, like, my schedule is crazy, but um, 
I will put enough time into it. I'm, it, should, it will be a nice work. I, I will put enough effort in it. <laughs> it will be a good work. It will be epic. Like, I, I'm, I'm just always, like, in my mind, I have, like, a hundred things to do, and I'm juggling them. So, yeah. I'm a little bit, like, how do you say, scatter? Scatter brain? Oh, scatter brain, yeah. Scatter brain. Scatter brain, yeah. And <laughs> um, what do you mean it's a lady knight? Lady? Like a woman, a knight, like uh, oh right, it's a knight who is a lady. <laughs> right, right, right. And yeah. one of my collectors, she uh, said the word that I, I would always say female knight, but she mm. said lady knight. So I thought, is that maybe the right name for it? Um, but I have no clue. I just say what other people say. <laughs> well, yeah. no, what threw me was, um, you know, sometimes in bars they'll have ladies' night. Um, that's kind yeah, of what I was hearing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I understand, yeah. Yeah, that makes more sense, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, is your palette, you know, different for each painting? And does your choice of colors, is there a similarity across the different mediums that you use? Um, well, probably, um, because I have... My, my taste that directs me to a specific colorful palette every time. <laughs> like, um, there's always like pink in the painting and some complementary colors because I can't help it. It has to be colorful. And then I will, I will uh, use definitely the same colors both in oils, acrylics, and watercolors. It would be like ultramarine, definitely pink tone, like one neon pink that I would use for mixing. Um, then, like, always yellow ochre for the skin tones, ochre tones, burnt sienna, um, ivory black, viridian green, gold is always there, and silver. So, definitely with the mediums and with the watercolors, it's always, like, similar colors. But the brands name the colors differently, but I think the pigments are the same. Yeah. Yeah. So I, just, I just switched the palette, but it's not really a di bi big difference. Most watercolor brands make good watercolors if they're like decently priced. Like, yeah. yeah. What's your go-to watercolor brand? I have a couple of of them who are very good. Um, for example, the Komorebi watercolors from Mozart, Winsor Newton watercolors are good. Shrink watercolors, but they are all good. The Etcher watercolors, like the Etcher bag, the big starter that, that went like a couple years ago, they also do watercolors. They are very good. Uh, these are currently the palettes that I work with. Also, the Japanese watercolors are very good. Uh, this one uh, is like a, okay, it makes no sense when I show it on the camera, but to the <laughs> listeners, I show like a palette into the camera, and there are like metallic paints in yeah. the, um, in the pen, gold and silver and other metallic pens. It's like a, I would say generally, like Japanese watercolors, you can trust them, they're good. Yeah. Like some metallic uh, paints. Um, yeah. Like in our days, there are so many brands who do watercolors. And um, yeah, they are, yeah, most of them are really good. Yeah. Is it hard to get it wrong with watercolors? Like, I, I don't know enough about them to, but they. Seem, no, no. What I mean is, like, brand-wise, 
you know, like with paint, oh. with oil paint, yeah. yeah, the brand makes a difference. Like cheap yeah. oil paint is different to expensive yeah. oil paint. Yeah, of course. If you have like very cheap watercolors, yeah, you can get some granulation in the colors and then okay. you get some rather ugly effects. Some colors are in, supposed to have some granulations in it. Like, ich glaub, I'm already like talking, John. I like, there's, um, yeah. <laughs> the color, I think it's called like Paris per, per, Parisian, Paris Blue, something like that, and it comes with granulation. Um, and sometimes the color like cracks where you paint and the pigment separated, and this is mostly a sign it's not the greatest pigment. Right. Oh, and when the color is chalky, so that means you paint with them, and instead of a very brilliant color, you get a muted dark color. And it's yeah. almost like an opaque color, even though it's ultramarine blue, which isn't opaque, for example. Then you would say, you would think, okay, this is not the greatest quality of watercolors. However, with watercolors, the um, paper is more important than the watercolor. So you could paint it with children's watercolors as long as you use good paper, like the like expenses mostly, unfortunately, at least I, maybe there are papers that are not that expensive, but when, I think Winter Newton is not that expensive. If you use Winter Newton with children's watercolors, it would still work out. But if you use like really bad watercolor paper with the most expensive paint, it would be ruined. So right. the, the paper is more important than the paint. Yeah. Are the colored pencils that you use, are they watercolor pencils or just your standard uh, colored pencils? Yeah, so I use two brands of color pencils. They are also like the uh, most pigmented ones that I know. Also like kind of expensive, but you don't have to buy like all of them in the beginning. And um, yeah, so I use the Polychromos color pencils from, from, oh, I don't know, 